I greet the saints of Jesus Christ this morning. How are you all doing? Amen. God is good. Amen. It's so good to uh, be here once again, uh, home in the United Kingdom. And it's a wonderful privilege to be invited to speak at this wonderful occasion of camp meeting. And I just want to pause for a moment and thank Pastor Sam Davis for inviting me to come here once again. Uh, he has been a pillar of strength uh, to my family and I in moments that we have had over the years uh, as a pastor in Santon Seventh-day Adventist Church in South Africa where he and his wife Rowena came and, and ministered uh, to our church there in South Africa. And the church has continued to reflect upon uh, the impact that the Lord has used him to make in our church, even to this day. And so they send their greetings uh, from South Africa. I just want to see how many people are from Africa uh, in this audience. Let me just see the hands. Oh, oh have mercy. If I said Saborna, you would be able to answer me quite well. Uh, if I said Mulabanji, you'd be able to say something there, I'm sure. Uh, if, I, if, you were, if you were from another country, I'd probably say Enda. You know, there, there's probably quite a few languages we could talk about here. And obviously to those who are from England, hello, how are you? <laughs> but it's been, it's been 19 years uh, since my wife and I uh, left the shores of England to... Uh, go, go to South Africa, and at some point I'm sure I will share a little bit about that journey that we had 19 years ago and how uh, that experience has shaped and helped me to understand God uh, for myself. And I believe that this camp meeting is also about knowing God, and I want to share not just theoretical an understanding of that, but I, I wish to enter into the realm of being vulnerable and sharing some of those experiences that have shaped my and my family's understanding of God. So I'm looking forward to a wonderful week, a spirit-filled week, uh, not one where we're simply here to entertain you, but rather to challenge your intellect, challenge you spiritually, that you may make decisions to step out in faith and do what God has asked you to do, not knowing where the evidence will be, but watching God do the impossible uh, for you. What do you say out there? Uh, today I play the role as the executive director of the Pacific Institute, so somehow I balance the realities of work and preaching and family life in our local church at Santon. We have recently just come back from Tunisia where we were sharing the gospel in a Muslim country where there was only eight Seventh-day Adventist members. However, when we got there, they were able to garner together 100 people for us to share family life with them. 
and we saw the Lord do mighty things in that place where we saw Muslim women in their full attire uh, pop into this hall where they were able to hear uh, the issues of family life. We had experiences of women who had made decisions for Jesus Christ but were not able to show that they were Seventh-day Adventists for fear of reprisals in the community. But I want you to pray for the saints in Tunisia. They're doing a mighty work over there. And we must continue to keep them in prayer. It has always been the functions of the servants of God, the ministers of God, the messengers of God, uh, to confront people with the most critical of all decisions. I recall back there in Deuteronomy uh, chapter 30 and verse 19 that it was Moses who said to the people, I call heaven and earth to record uh, this day against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Thereafter, I suggest Moses then said, choose life that both thou and thy seed may live. It was Joshua, I recall, who also, uh, who succeeded Moses, who also said, uh, choose ye this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your, which your father served, but as for me and my house, uh, we will what? serve the Lord. I remember also it was Jeremiah who heard God say to him, unto this people shall you say, thus uh, saith the Lord, behold, I have set before you the way of life and the way of death. I think it was Elijah also, the great prophet, who also called for a great decision. And he said, how long will you halt between two opinions? If the Lord be God, then what? follow him, and if Baal, then follow him. Over the years, my friends, I have in my short life traversing the continent heard many Christians struggling uh, to choose the right path. Uh, I remember speaking to a young woman, and she said, well, what do I do as a single woman passing my 30s with no prospect of marriage in sight? Does, does God really expect me to stay celibate my entire life, especially since I've been in previous and intimate relationships? Uh, somebody else said to me, well, what do I do when my debts are higher than my income? Does God really expect me to return a faithful tithe and a faithful offering when my personal family safety and security is being threatened. Uh, uh, somebody once came to me and said, well, I have feelings for someone of the same gender. Uh, does not God understand that I never asked to be born that way? What choice do I really have? Uh, once a businessman came to me and he said, well, Errol, I know that you are a businessman, but I've really tried to be honest in business. But the truth is, you can't always be truthful if you want to survive the jungle of business. Well, what choice do I have? My friends, I want to talk to you for the next few minutes on the subject, willing to be made willing. Let us bow our heads as we pray. Father God, I pray that your Holy Spirit will come into this place. 
touch us, Lord, and move us into the right space of decision-making. And hide me, Lord, behind the cross and make your name be glorified and your name alone is my prayer in your name. Amen. The scripture text that was read before you, and I just want to read it one more time, there in Matthew chapter 7 and verses 13 to 14, Jesus is speaking. And there he says, enter ye at the straight gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. This whole sermon of Jesus began in chapter 5 and finds its culmination in chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. The Lord Jesus himself gives an invitation. Uh, there are two doors and two ways and two destinations. As one writer puts it, it's make up your mind time on the mountain. Uh, Jesus had just uh, given what is commonly known as the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, it could have been better named, in my opinion. It is a sermon about which way to heaven. And there's only one possibility, and there are only two choices, not many, uh, just two. Uh, some might assume, my friends, that with all the different religions in the world and all the supposed insights into spirituality and all the ways that men and women have concocted their religious systems, that there would be literally millions of ways to get to heaven that you could choose. But in fact, the Bible tells us there's only one of two options that are available. Are you with me so far, my friends? There is a narrow way with a narrow gate, and there is a broad way with a broad gate. Uh, these are the only two possibilities. Uh, Jesus then, as he preached, I surmised within my mind, was not looking to receive bouquets for the ethics of his sermon. He did not want applause for the spiritual insights. He was not offering a one-a-day-week experience for those who wanted to be spiritual. His sermon, my friends, demanded a choice, an absolute choice, a choice that renders finality, a choice that leads to a fixed forever in eternity. That's what Jesus, my friends, is talking about here. There is a narrow way that leads to life, and then there's a broad way uh, with all the other religions that lead to death. In fact, the simplicity, my friends, of this decision that our Lord lays before us is so clear and so obvious is the contrast of these two options that he gives us. And I just want to spend a moment there with you because I want to give you the biblical understanding and then I want to bring this reality into everyday practice. There are two gates, the wide and the narrow, Pastor Davis. Two ways, 
the broad and the narrow, two destinations, life and destruction, two groups of travelers, the many and the few. And as you draw down into verse 15 and following, there are two trees, the good and the evil, two kinds of fruit, the good and the bad. And as you draw down further, my friends, into the text, there are two builders, uh, one wise and one foolish, two foundations, one rock and one sand, two houses and two results from the storm. You cannot be more clear than that. You cannot depict more clearly the choice that Jesus is comparing the two options that exist. And so as we look at these two verses, let's look at the first of the four contrasts that appear in the conclusion of this great sermon. The two gates, the two ways, the two destinations, and the two crowds. This is in verse 13, the narrow gate, also called in verse 14, the small gate. There is this wide gate, and both of these gates introduce you to a path. Neither of these gates says hell, but one of them goes there. One is the path of dependence on God, and the other is the path of self-dependence. One path surrenders self to God, the other serves self. Uh, One path is God's path, and the other is Satan's way. One is about willing to be made willing, and the other is about an unwillingness to be made willing. So, the gates come first, my friends, and they speak of entry. And there are five things that I want to bring to your attention in this message that you need to know about the straight gate. Number one, about this gate, it's imperative that if you want to have a personal experience with God, you must enter the gate. Somebody say amen. Uh, Number two, you must enter the gate alone. And number three, you must enter the gate with difficulty. Number four, you must enter the gate naked. And number five, by entering the gate, you are accepting that you need moral and spiritual rehabilitation. Verse 13 begins with this command. It begins with... It's imperative. Uh, Just in case you did not know which gate to enter, just in case you're in the valley of decision, Jesus makes it clear, enter ye into the straight gates. Now, my friends, we can draw some conclusions about this very simple statement. It's imperative that you enter. Now, entering into the straight gate is not going to happen by accident. It's not going to happen apart from a commitment and a decision on your part. It's an absolute command given by Jesus Christ. Enter ye into the straight gate. The gospel itself, my friends, commands every human being to repent and believe that Jesus is both Lord and Christ. It's not enough, therefore, my friends, in this camp meeting uh, to listen to the preaching about the straight 
straight gate. It's not enough to study the straight gate and to admire the structure of its narrowness. It must be entered. And the world, my friends, is full of people who admire the gospel. They admire, if you will, uh, the narrow gate. They admire the work of Christ on the cross. They admire the work accomplished in his conquering death and also his resurrection. They admire the ethics and the virtues of Jesus. In fact, I have come to discover there are many who are in the church who expend much energy in bringing people to the gate but don't enter the gate themselves. Hell, I would like to suggest, is going to be literally full of people who come to church but never knew Jesus. And that's why James says in James chapter 1, verse 22, but prove yourselves uh, to be doers of the word and not merely hearers who decide, who delude themselves. Uh, one of the things I remember, my friends, as I sat where you sat when I was a child coming to camp meeting and hearing the Brads and the Clevelands and the Rocks and the Wrights and all of those, we used to love to hear the message. We would there hear and watch people come and stand and may give their lives to Jesus. It was good for them, but not good for us. We were not prepared to enter the straight gates. You see, my friends, a gate serves two purposes. It lets in and it shuts out. Those who do not enter in time are then eternally barred from the kingdom. And like the parable of Jesus of the five wise and the five foolish virgins of Matthew chapter 25, once the wedding feast begins, the door was shut. So it is imperative, it's an absolute imperative that you enter. You must be willing to commit to entering the straight gate. And when it is found, I would like to suggest, as I will share later on, it is not easy. And that's why Jesus made it very clear, you have to count the cost. Secondly, you must enter the gate alone. What did I say? You must enter the gate what? Alone. This is a very narrow gate. This is like a turnstile, admitting only one person at a time. It's exclusive from the start. It is intensely personal. It's not a group experience. It doesn't happen to everybody who joins the church or everybody who gets baptized or everyone who is in the family of Christ. Why? Because once you get baptized, it's just the beginning. Now God says, let's enter the gate. It isn't something, my friends, that you inherit from your parents or your grandparents. It isn't something that you signed up for along with your husband or wife, boyfriend or girlfriend. It's absolutely singular. It's totally individual. It is exclusive and requires a break from the crowd. And Jesus makes it clear, and he that does not take up his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me. So, so, so entering this gate, I would like to suggest, will potentially cost you everybody and everything, even control over your own life. 
Salvation, my friends, is only for one person at a time, one by one, by faith in Christ. It is therefore an imperative that you enter the narrow gate and you must enter it alone. So the first imperative is what? You must what? Enter the gate. The second one is what? All right. Third, third, third. You must enter with difficulty. When it comes to the straight gate and the narrow road which leads to heaven, Jesus will not allow us any comfortable tolerances. In fact, the straight gate, my friends, used in our text means a pressed way, a constricted way, a confining way, a difficult pass between two clefts, hemmed in on both sides, very rigid, very prescribed, very limited, a narrow and hard way. See, the kingdom, my friends, requires earnest endeavor untiring energy and utmost exertion. Because Satan, I have discovered, is mighty and always seeks to cause you to not want to go into the narrow road because the broad road, as we will discuss later, is much easier than the straight road. The most radical aspect of this gospel, I have discovered, is, my friends, to give up the intense internal desire to preserve self when faced with competing decisions. Jesus makes it clear that unless we deny this most basic instinct of self-preservation, which will and must produce some degree of inevitable loss, we can never truly hope to live. That is why Jesus said, my friends, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and what? follow me. Now that's easy to say, my friends. I promise you just reading it is incredibly easy, but the doing is the real challenge. Does somebody know what I'm talking about here? Uh, you can say all the right words, you can preach all the right words, and I'm often frightened when I have to come and preach because actually I'm not a pastor, I'm not a preacher, I'm just a sinner saved by grace, amen? And I'm just coming to share some of my struggles and some of my own experiences of what this gospel has translated into when it comes to my own life. Uh, let me give you an idea of, of what I mean by having to trust in God. When I came to South Africa in 1994, the story I won't share just yet, I came upon a challenge. Whilst the Lord blessed over those four years, it was never my intention to go to South Africa. It was never my intention to be a missionary. It was never my intention to share the gospel. I just wanted to live as most Seventh-day Adventists live which is going to church on Sabbath, make sure I'm at camp meeting, do a bit of Bible work, do a bit of Bible study, and live my life. Does somebody know what I'm talking about? But sometimes I want to suggest that God wants you for a specific purpose, and He therefore must test you, and He has your CV, and turns around and says, I think it's your turn to go through the straight gate. I don't know how many of you have been through the straight gate, but I, I just want to share one story of my straight gate moment. 
It's four years in South Africa. The fundamental problem we had was that at that time, the church which called me at that time was meant to ensure that I had a work permit. But when I arrived there in 1994, in the August after my, at my second trip, there was nothing there. We had given up everything because God had said, sell everything you have, get rid of it all. And we arrived into South Africa, my one wife, two children, six suitcases, and nowhere to live. But I didn't mind that. It was what was going to happen four years later. Because during that time, we needed to make a decision. Do we come back home given the fact that we don't have a work permit, or do we continue to stay in a country as illegal immigrants, and which way do you go? And I prayed and I fasted, and God answered the prayer. He said, pray and preach. I will be your employer, and you do what I say. Four years later and four and a half thousand people baptized later and three churches raised up from scratch and still operating today. Now in 1998, Suzanne Curlew, Nigel Davids, Eddie Hippolyte and a crowd of people came to our home and there we had a wonderful time in Jesus as the gospel was shared in an evangelistic campaign. Suzanne Curlew, who was then the youth director for the youth... Um, the Youth Federation then came back and spoke to Pastor Sam Davis, who then asked the question, who is there and could any good thing come out of South Africa? Somebody say no. That's, that's what he said. Well, he didn't say it that way, but he said it that way. He's not here now, so I can say it. <laughs> And, 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 and so the invitation, the invitation was granted for me to come and do camp meeting in 1998. Was anybody around in 1998 when I came? I was, I was a young boy back then, a young boy back then. And, and, and so there was a problem though, there was a problem. I had not gotten my work permit yet. And now I was being called to come and preach for the first time after four years of being away in England at camp meeting. I picked up the phone to Nigel Davids. I said, preacher, I can't do this. He said, why? I said, because I have not got my papers straight. And therefore, if I step out of the country, then I may not get back. I spoke to Eddie Hippolyte, and I said, brother, I can't come. And Eddie said, I don't know what you can do, preacher. And I went down on my knees, and I said, Lord, I can't do this. But in the night seasons, my friends, the Lord came to me and said, I want you to go, and I want you to preach in the United Kingdom. But I said, Lord, you know the situation. If I go, I may not be able to come back. But I want to give you more context, my friends, because sometimes when God God asks you to do something. He doesn't ask you to do what's in your power to do. He asks you what is outside of your power to do, which means you will need faith, uh, which is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And you must recognize without faith, it is what? Impossible to please him. 
I can't stay preaching, therefore, and not heed the word of God. But my context, my situation was not good. I don't know if you remember, and some of you will not, there used to be two praying warriors, uh, Sister Williams and the late Sister Smith. I don't know if anybody remembers those people. Anybody remember Sister Smith when she would pray? You didn't need to preach after she prayed because when she finished praying, you just needed the altar call. Do you remember? Oh, yes, my friends. Well, just in my midnight hour, as I was struggling with my situation, guess who knocks on the door fresh from the United Kingdom? It's Sister Williams and Sister Smith. Hallelujah. Because you know when you got those two praying prophets, something is going to happen. And I remember, I didn't even know how to tell them. So there was a context. But what made it worse is that now I was in serious financial difficulties. Why? Because as a preacher, I had not worked for those four years. I had simply trusted in the Lord. But on this particular occasion, the Lord had suspended for a while to test us as a family. Means were slim. They were knocking on the door for the rent we couldn't pay. And at the same time, they were going to evict us. And at the same time... The Lord is saying, go to England. Go to England, your family at home. You've got not the papers. And God is saying, go. I'm talking about the straight gates. Are you with me, my friends? My friends, like Abraham, I remember going and looking at the story of Abraham because I asked myself the question, God, are you asking me to give up my family? I remember drawing my children Rochelle and Jordan on that bed. And I said to my wife, if God says I've got to go, I've got to go. I don't know what is going to happen. I don't know if you're going to get evicted. I don't know if I'm going to be able to make it back home. I don't know what the future is going to hold. But one thing I know is who holds the future. What do you say out there? I know who holds the future because I've experienced him. I have known him for myself. And I recognize this. I have never seen the righteous forsaken. And I've never seen the seed begging bread. We came with nothing. And God has given us something. And he will never leave us. And he will never forsake us. And I know that the cattle on a thousand hills are his. It's not what you're going through that matters. Do you remember where you have come from that matters? Oh, let me tell you. I remember I said to my wife, and even my wife was struggling. She said, babes, are you sure that God says we should go? You should go. I said, babes, I know what God said. I got to go. She said, you don't even have money to go. I said, he will provide. She said, you don't even know if you're going to get back. I said, he'll make a plan. Listen to me. I remember that the folks booked my tickets. And uh, the day came that I was about to leave. I remember I got a phone call on that day. And it was from a, an Afrikaans lady. I'd, I'd spoken in an Afrikaans church uh, some few weeks before that. And back in those days, to, to speak in an Afrikaans church, you had to be something special to get in through those doors, amen? 
It was one of those realities. And, and, and the lady called me and she says, Errol, I hear that you're going to, to England. And I said, yes, yes, ma'am, I'm, I'm going to England. She says, uh, do you have money to go? I says, I, I, I'm okay, ma'am, I, I'm fine. I, I don't like to tell people my problems, you know. I'm, I'm a proud black man, you know. I'm, I believe that when God delivers you, then I'll talk to you about my deliverance. Uh, does that make sense? And, and so, I, so, I, so I said, no, ma'am, I'm fine, I'm fine. She said, do you have money? I said, I'm okay. She said, well, I'd like you to meet us at the airport, you know, so that we can, so can go and say goodbye to you. And so, so I remember, you know, my wife and I got in our car. There was a little fuel in the car. We pushed the car down the hill just to get it started, you know. <laughs> we, we were missionaries, Amen. We were missionaries, had to push that car and got it started and, and moved towards Jan Smuts Airport. And, and as we drove there, everybody was silent in the car because my children knew that they may not see daddy. I huddled them close to me and I said, children, I want you to understand. As with tears in my eyes, I said, God is going to do a marvelous thing. And I remember as we met those folks at the airport, my friends, uh, this lady came and she had a boot full of food and we said, oh, thank you, Jesus. And she gave me a little cash and she said, uh, just take this, you may need it on the way to England. And I said, oh, praise the Lord, but that's not my issue, sister. My issue is graver than that. I didn't say that, but that's what I was thinking. And, and, <laughs> and, and as I remember hugging my wife and I squeezed her tightly and I kissed her deeply, help me, Jesus. Jesus. I, 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 kissed. I didn't know, I didn't know if this was going to be the last time. I, I hugged my children uh, with tears in my eyes and I, I said, God will be with you, my children. And, and then I remember saying goodbye and I walked to that airport. And as I walked into that airport, and you'll find out my stories with airports seems to be a perennial issue in our lives. But nevertheless, we walked to that airport and, and I remember putting my passport there and, and the guy looked at it and he says, sir, do you know that you are four years out? And I said, yes, sir. He said, sir, do you understand? that you should be excommunicated from this country. I said, yes, sir. He says, what have you been doing there? I said, sir, I've been preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Sir, I've been working in the villages for the sake of Jesus. Sir, I have left all in England to come and work in this country. I've never received pay from anyone. I've never worked in this country, but God has been my provider. The man looked at me. He said, then no problem, sir, and stamped that passport, and I walked through. So Somebody say amen. But, 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 but my friends, uh, that was not, that was just the beginning because the camp meeting came and I, I preached my soul out. But in the back of my head, I said, Jesus, you got me in, but can you take me back? <laughs> Come on, somebody. Can you? Can you take me back? Can you take me back? But I, I, I decided I'm not going to ask the question, can you? I know you can. And I remember as, as the saints were so enthralled by the messages and, and praise the Lord preacher and all of those things, I didn't have time to say thank you. I was deep in meditation because I just wanted to get home. And I remember, my friends, that I got back to that airport again and I looked at the person and they said, do you have a visa for South Africa? And they, I said, no, I don't. They said, do you work in South Africa? I said, no, I don't. He said, then what are you going for? I said, 
sir, I'm going to preach Jesus Christ. I'm going to work in the villages. I'm going to work in the townships. I'm going to give my all. She looked at me and said, then go, sir. And I landed in South Africa. And for the next six years, I walked in and out and in and out and in and out and in and out. The angel of the Lord encampeth around those <laughs> who fear him. Hallelujah. I'm talking about knowing God. I'm talking about when God says, get into the straight gate. He's saying, you got to go alone. You got to go by yourself. You must enter with difficulty. You must enter naked. But you must understand, my friends, that when you enter into the straight gate, you will have an experience with Jesus Christ that you will never, ever have if you never entered that straight gate. I don't want to talk theory to you. I want to talk about experiences. I want to talk about struggle. I want to talk about faith. I want to talk about when God does not answer you. And what do you do when he doesn't answer but says go? I want you to understand, my friends, this battle that we fight as Christians is not won by deferred prayers and unfulfilled promises and broken resolutions and hesitant commitments. It's for the strong. Christianity is not for the weak and the faint-hearted. It is for those who are willing to be made willing. It's for those who are prepared to say all to Jesus. I, what? Surrender. Do you understand what it means to surrender? When God says, give up all that you've got, I've got a work for you to do. And he turns around and says, give up your job, Errol. And when you have given it up, then I will have a conversation with you. My friends, I want you to understand. You can't go through this road without giving some stuff up. You can't. You can't. My last two pieces is that you've got to go through this gate. You must enter naked. What did I say? You must enter this gate naked. You can't go through a turnstile with baggage. It's the gate of self-denial. Stripping off all of the sin and self and self-righteousness. It's where you come to the place where you say, I no longer want to be the person I have been. Let, let me help you to understand. I was, and, and at that time was, an incredibly healthy skeptic when it came to God. And I grew up in the church all of my life. But I was tired, my friends, of these sermons that talked about faith, but I never saw nobody do it. I got tired of all of the things that people said in church, but I looked for evidence and I couldn't see it. And what was making it worse, my friends, I had no story of my own. I was tired, my friends, of buying the CDs and the tapes and all of those things that we get at camp meeting. And I would love the messages, but I'd always end up asking myself the question, and where is my story? 
Everybody needs to have their own story because when you have a story, you can tell somebody not the theory, but the practice of what God has done. To enter that straight gate, to get that story, means letting go of that which you have accumulated on the broad road. Those things that have become comfortable with, accustomed to, accepted as normal, and gave no thought to. Suddenly, the process of the straight road, I've discovered, will not accommodate those things. The straight road, my friends, won't really accommodate bad eating habits. It it really won't accommodate fornication. It won't accommodate adultery. It won't accommodate those things that are so popular in our congregations today. Uh, The straight road, my friends, won't accommodate impure thoughts and vulgar language and the odd alcoholic drink now and then and the unforgiving spirit that is so pervasive in our churches today. It it won't accommodate, my friends, the robbing of the Lord's tithe. I like what Charles C. Spurgeon said when he said, you and your sins must separate or you and your God cannot come together. We must, my friends, become willing to become willing. The final and the fifth piece, my friends, is that you need to recognize that when you get into this straight gate, you're getting in because you need spiritual and moral rehabilitation. When you commit to enter the straight and narrow road, You are committing to spiritual and moral rehabilitation. Uh, We have just sent, in our church, we have a life in recovery class. And in that class, we have to take care of those who need drug rehabilitation. And we send many of them to drug rehabilitation centers. Uh, They have consented to the fact that they are powerless and their lives have become unmanageable and that only a power greater than themselves can restore them to sanity. However, my friends, you can't help someone who does not think they have a problem. You can't help somebody who is blind to their condition. You can't help somebody who is self-opinionated and so strong in their opinion, they can't see how strong their destructive behavior has become. And so, my friends, I want you to understand, when you become aware of your condition, it's then, it's then that Christ is saying, enter into the straight gate. Now, here's the problem, my friends. You know when you go into drug rehabilitation, you go through withdrawal symptoms. You know what I'm talking about? Oh, there's a lot of drug addicts here. I just want to check. Okay. You go through all these withdrawal symptoms. You know, the things that you used to crave, you know, you want them back again. And and, and what Jesus is saying, stay in rehab, stay in rehab. But many of us get to a place where we say, you know what? I can't deal with this rehab. I want to go back to the broad road. I want to go back where it's easy. I want to go back where I can do the things I used to do. But what you don't realize is that when you get sick on the broad road and you got to come back to rehab, the rehabs has the same principles you left with. You may have accumulated much on the broad road, but as you step into the straight road. Christ is saying, let's go back from where we started and it will not change because you've accumulated much on the broad road. Do you know what I'm talking about? And there are many times, my friends, I have exited the straight road, gone back on the broad road, only to discover that when Christ says, go back into the straight gate, my friends, my time in rehab is harder than the last time. Anybody know what I'm talking about? 
is harder again. But I want to give you news, my friends, that Christ is long-suffering and patient. He's kind and he's good. And his mercy endures forever. I wonder why on earth God keeps putting up with me. But for some reason, he keeps putting up with me and tells me I'm his child and that I will make it. And I may falter now and then, but heaven is my goal. And if I am the last one to get in, it is my intention to make it into the kingdom. My friends i got to close. Time is done. I'd like to have more fun with you, more stories, more testimonies, more sermons. But, but I want you to leave you with this point. You've got to get into that gate. You've got to test God for yourself. You can't keep listening to it. You've got to enter it. You've got to allow yourself to be tested by it. And tomorrow I will share some of that experience of the testing. I'm going to share with you this week when I came to a place when God said during the global crisis of 2007, 2009, my company lost so many millions and God said, you take care of me first, take care of your people and then leave me to take care of you. And as the months passed, I could see that I was going to lose my house, my car, the company, but God said, don't you worry, take care of the people, take care of your staff, make sure they get paid before you get paid. You be the last one to pay yourself. And there's, if there's nothing to pay you, I will pay you myself one way, shape, or form. Come on, somebody. I, I, I'm going to talk to you about how God delivers when you enter the straight gate so that when you have finished, when God is done with you, and you look back at where you have come from and where you are, and you wonder how you got over and somebody else is going through that situation, you'll be able to say, I remember when the Lord delivered me there. I remember when the Lord delivered me there. I remember when the Lord delivered me here. Surely he will deliver you also. That's what I'm going to be talking about this week. And so may God bless you as you enter the gate of this camp meeting. And as you enter the gate of this camp meeting, I pray that you will come out a different person than the one you went into. May God bless you all. Amen.